Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Good to see each of you here, and uh, thanks for being hardy group that ventured out on the roads. Uh, and uh, to you who are online and decided to play it safe, uh, good to have you with us as well. You know, this abrupt change of seasons has me thinking back to uh, less than a month ago, being down in San Antonio, Texas, wearing shorts and sightseeing. And uh, we checked out the Alamo and, and the uh, River Walk, and, and then also the Japanese tea gardens there, which is kind of a fascinating place, a beautiful haven in a former rock quarry. And uh, besides all the trees and flowers uh, all over the place there on this rock-rimmed spot, um, there is a waterfall that flows down into a pond, and, and there were volumes of multicolored fish uh, swimming around down there. And, and the fish were so close as we walked by, you could about reach out and grab one. I didn't. Um, but, but if I had, that fish would not have survived long out of water. Uh, their natural habitat, of course, is, is water and not land. I read recently an interesting comment by Chris Kilmer about fish and the church. He said this, When I hear someone say you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, I'll reply, true. You don't have to be in water to be a fish, but you certainly won't last long out of it. The fundamental principle number one of the Free Lutheran Church states this, that the congregation is the right form of the kingdom of God on earth. And we believe then that Christians need each other and that the biblical pattern for believers in Jesus Christ is clearly gathering together in congregations for worship and for fellowship and to be a corporate witness to the world. And the text that we're going to look at today in Philippians reminds us of the importance then of the relationships in the congregation and it also reminds us of the reality that we don't always get along perfectly there. I, I know I've probably shared this quote before. From, um, I learned it from Pastor Bob Lee years ago and never forgot it. It sums up so well the challenge of relationships within a congregation. It goes like this. To dwell above with saints I love, oh, that will sure be glory. But to dwell below with saints I know, well, that's a different story. Apparently there were some ladies uh, at Philippi that had found that to be true. And the tensions in their relationships were well known in the congregation so that the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church addresses that straight on rather than just hoping that it'll go away. I invite you to look with me at, at uh, Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to see here in these three short verses um, some valuable guidance for relationships in any Christian congregation. If you have your um, little uh, Philippians uh, journal, it's on page uh, 16. We're getting just about to the end now of Philippians, so in chapter 4, and at the bottom there, just those three short verses. I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as we read. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia 
and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Let us pray. Oh Lord God, we thank you for this personal note that draws attention for us, Lord, to the reality of relationships in the congregation and the importance of that and at times the challenge of that. And so, Lord, we ask that you administer your word to each of our hearts, apply it to our lives and to our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> the uh, words in, the, in this uh, passage in Philippians make it clear that division in the fellowship is contrary to the mindset of the Apostle Paul. Uh, look at how he describes folks there at Philippi in verse 1, and I'm going to just read here a, a maybe more literal rendering of it from the Greek. So as brothers of me, beloved and longed for, joy and crown of me, so stand in the Lord, beloved. Some translations uh, say brothers there, others say brothers and sisters. I like the word that the New American Standard and the King James uses, brethren, that covers them both, um, brothers and sisters. This word is one of the most commonly used terms in the New Testament to describe followers of Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts, 32 times is that word there. It describes the relationships between believers as close or as like family. But being close relatives does not guarantee that you like each other, does it? However, Paul calls the Philippians here beloved brethren, and he makes his perspective concerning them very clear here, uh, as he says in verse 1, my beloved brethren whom I long to see. Like many of us anticipate greatly having family come home for Thanksgiving and Christmas, Paul hoped for such an opportunity to be able to see face-to-face -face those Philippian believers again. He longed for that. And he further expresses how he feels about them here as he calls them my joy and my crown. Parents, you know, sometimes talk of their kids or grandparents talk of their grandkids like my, my pride and joy, right? In a way, a similar picture here. Paul here, um, while he was back in Philippi before, had poured his life into these folks who had become believers in Jesus Christ there. And so he calls them my joy and my crown. He says something similar um, to the Thessalonians in Thessalon uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. There he says, For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. You see, when Jesus Christ returns someday to take his followers to be home with him in glory, all kinds of other things that we have lived for in this life won't be worth a hill of beans. But those that we have helped to come to faith will be our crown. Precious, eternal human souls, that's what really matters. And one more term that describes Paul's mindset here regarding the Philippians, he calls them, in verse 3, my fellow workers. He didn't see himself being an apostle as therefore above them. No, he was one of them. They were fellow workers with him in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and that's the way we need to see it in the life of the congregation today as well. 
We are all fellow workers with different roles, but the same mission. And with that mindset, then, Paul, in verse 3, he refers to one of the folks at Philippi as his true companion. Uh, one translation says it this way, genuine yoke fellow. And I, I like that. It, it, that term gives us, then, a picture. A, a picture of, like, two horses or oxen that are yoked together to pull a cart. And, and now what happens if, if you have two animals yoked together pulling in different directions? Or, or one is pressing forward and the other one is lagging behind. It hinders the progress of moving the load, doesn't it? And, and so it is in the church. And, and that is why Paul addresses these two ladies here in verse 2. Um, they are at odds with each other while being part of the congregation there at Philippi. And, and it is hindering the mission. And so Paul is exhorting them then, pull together, Yodia and Syntyche. Like a team of horses or oxen, pull together, ladies. You see, division in the fellowship is, is contrary to the mindset of the Apostle Paul. And it's also contrary to the nature of the church. Because the congregation possesses a single task, and that is to spread the gospel. To spread the good news to sinners far and wide of forgiveness of sin and eternal life that is available in Jesus Christ. Yes, there are going to be times... That disagreements and relational tensions will develop in the congregation, as, as they do in families as well. But when they do, we're always to keep in mind our, our primary mission of the Christian church, which we are all engaged in together. Uh, a week ago at our men's breakfast, we were going through Acts chapter 15. And it's an interesting chapter there. There are two dif different disagreements that come up among the brethren in that chapter. Um, and, and the first one is regarding the way of salvation. What must one do in order to become saved? Do they need to be circumcised and become Jewish to keep the ceremonial law of, of Moses before they can become Christian? That was the question. <coughs> Excuse me. And as the brethren worked it through, they came to a conclusion that no, it would not be right to put that additional burden of keeping the law on the Gentiles in order to be saved. Salvation was to be found solely in, in putting their faith in Jesus Christ. And in a congregation these days as well, there can be no compromising on the way of salvation. We must hold to salvation only in Jesus Christ. And so that we teach then that, that sinners who confess their sins and put their faith in Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross are saved. Scripture settles that for us. And those who disagree with us on that must be seen as a cult or as another religion altogether. Well, the second disagreement that came up in Acts chapter 15 was regarding who should go on the next missionary journey. And Paul and Barnabas didn't agree on that one. Nor did they have to. They split up and they went two different directions, each taking someone additional with them, and both groups went out proclaiming that same gospel of forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ. And you know, in a congregation these days as well, there can be many issues a bit like that, issues that Scripture doesn't settle directly. Who should do this or that? What time should we meet? What style of music should we sing? Which local ministries should we support? What kind of light bulbs should we use? Those are all secondary issues. And we don't have to completely agree on them. 
They're matters of opinion. And if we can't come to a compromise on them, then, then we can go our own separate ways and still both work for the Lord. Now hopefully, no one leaves Maranatha over secondary issues. But if they do, we wish them well. We all still possess a single task of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, besides the nature of the church being that we possess this single task, the nature of the church is, is that we are to be marked by mutual helpfulness. Paul says to his true companion in the work, help these women. And that is what we are to do as, as a family of God. We're to help each other, whether that be in meeting physical needs, which I am so thankful to see a congregation that at times steps out and does that for each other, or, or it might be in helping to resolve relational issues as well. And I find it interesting that Paul doesn't take sides here in this secondary issue with these two ladies that are at odds with each other. He, he puts the responsibility on both of them to work it out. And he asks somebody to even help them to do so. And, and there have been times in my years as a pastor that I have become aware of a rift between parishioners where there are two people that have maybe even stopped speaking to each other altogether. And each one thinks it's the other one's fault and that the other one should be the one to take the initiative to resolve the things. Well, Paul here doesn't let either of these ladies off the hook. He urges both of them, get along, pull together, live in harmony, agree in the Lord. And that's a key phrase there in verse 2, in the Lord. Because you see, the church by nature is a place of fundamental oneness. We are united in the Lord Jesus. Our community with one another consists solely in what he has done for us, um, for all involved. And all Christians then are, are drawn into the fellowship of believers as forgiven sinners that are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, rescued from hell itself, and promised heaven someday, and thus we are united with him, and we will be for all eternity. And Paul talks of all of the Philippian Christians and his fellow workers. And notice in verse 3, he talks of them as ones whose names are in the book of life. And if we are Christians, then our names are in the same book together. The book of eternal life. The book that a name must be in in order to go to heaven someday. And, and so you see the nature of the church is that we then have this, this shared citizenship in heaven. Pastor Ryan reminded us of that last week as we looked at chapter 3. Our citizenship is in heaven. We Christians might as well learn then how to get along now, since we're all going to be in heaven together someday, right? And yes, I know that it's going to be easier then because we'll all be free of sin then. But still, you get the point. The church on earth is, is to be a place then that, that possesses this single task of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's marked by mutual helpfulness. It's a place of fundamental oneness in our common Lord. And we together then have that shared citizenship in heaven. So why is it then? that we have such a tough time living that out here on this earth. Well, it is partly because we are all still sinful and selfish. But as I was reading uh, 
book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together, he, he brings up another interesting reason. Listen close to this quote. Innumerable times a whole Christian community has broken down because it has sprung from a wish dream. The serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be and, and to try then to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. As surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we're fortunate, with ourselves. By sheer grace, God will not permit us to live even for a brief period in a dream world. He does not abandon us to those rapturous experiences and lofty moods that come over us like a dream. God is not a God of emotions, but the God of truth. And only that fellowship which faces such disillusionment with all of its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it, end quote. We are called to live in harmony in the Lord, to, to agree in him on the mission and to work together then in advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, how practically speaking can we do this when we don't always even like each other? Well, as we gather on a day like today, what do we do? We, we sing together. We, we pray together, we read scripture together, and the focus comes off of ourselves, and we together then look to the one who is the Lord and Savior. And we are, we are reminded then that he is right here in our midst, and he lives within each and every one of our hearts. And I would say further that specifically when we are willing then to humble ourselves together before the Lord in prayer, he breaks down the walls that we as sinners have erected. And Bonhoeffer addresses this as well, and I share just this little quote in addition. He said, there is no dislike, no personal tension, no estrangement that cannot be overcome by intercession as far as our side of it is concerned. Intercessory prayer is a purifying bath into which the individual and the fellowship must enter every day, end quote. Praying for each other Praying with each other draws us together to our common Lord and his purpose for our individual lives and for the church. Next week, we're going to be moving on in chapter 4 here, and, and, and we'll be looking at some of my favorite verses in that whole book as it reminds us then of the great privilege of prayer. But for now, recognize this. It is a real trick to stay mad at somebody that you pray for every day. And if you don't believe it, Try it for a couple weeks. We have seen here in these first three verses of Philippians 4 then that division of fellowship is contrary to the mindset of the Apostle Paul. It's contrary to the very nature of the Christian church. And it is also a, a, a flaw in the church's armor and witness. And, and Paul in verse 1 then urges the Philippians, stand firm in the Lord in this way, as he goes on to then explain about getting along, pulling together, living in harmony in the Lord. Because remember what happens when that fish is out of water. He grows weak and dies. 
And so also is the risk of trying to live the Christian life outside of the environment that God intended for it to flourish. And that is in the community of believers. Division in the fellowship leads to isolation and to vulnerability to the attacks of Satan. And it leads to then destroying the corporate witness that God intends for the church to be. Remember what we were told back in chapter 2 of Philippians here. God, God has put the Christian church on earth to be his witness to the whole world. And so Paul said there, do all things without grumbling and what? Disputing. Yeah, do all things without grumbling and disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. Where? Well, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We need to be concerned about our corporate witness. What do the people of Glendon and the surrounding area think about that group that's connected with that brick church building over there on the west edge of town along Highway 10? I pray that they see us as a group of people that truly care for each other and as a light of hope in the midst of a troubled world. Let's pray. Lord, thanks that Paul was willing to very personally address this issue with these ladies and with this congregation and to, in the process, teach us, too, then, about the value of unity in the congregation. And, Lord, I thank you for Dietrich Bonhoeffer's reminder, too, that, that probably all of us have this wish list of what we think relationships in the church should be like if we were all perfect and none of us are that so lord forgive us for when we offend each other or hurt each other and help us that we would pull together in the work that we would be united in spreading the gospel of jesus christ and and uh, welcoming others into the fellowship here lord and and offering them the hope that we have found in our lord and savior jesus christ and lord we pray that if there be somebody who doesn't know you that you would help them even today to, to understand that they can come to trust in Jesus as their Savior and know forgiveness of sin and, and become citizens of the, the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't mean things will be perfect after that. But Lord, it, it, we thank you that it changes things and that we uh, then have relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ who help us grow in our walk with you. And, and we pray that that would be the case here. In Jesus' name, amen.